Uh, one quick comment before we jump into the sermon. Uh, I've mentioned this for a little bit over a month now, but next Sunday we start our study in, um, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the Gospel of the Kingdom, and we intend to be in the Gospel of Matthew for a really, uh, a really long time. I mean, we'll, there'll be breaks where we'll hop in and out of it, um, but it's going to be a long journey, and uh, we've had the joy of going through some, uh, some of the bigger books in the Bible together as a congregation, and uh, there's something nice about just like, I, I, don't, the, I don't know when we're going to get to Matthew 28. Like it's, so it's a question mark. We have no idea. So if the, if the Lord uh, gives us enough time, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, but there's not, it's not laid out like that. It's, uh, we're just going to be walking our, way, uh, walking our way through it. And so I uh, invite you to join us uh, on the journey that starts, uh, starts next week. Okay, let's take a look at uh, John chapter 1. Um, may, maybe you know this, uh, but January 6th, this past Friday, um, uh, was uh, on, the, on the church calendar, uh, was a, a day that we refer to as Epiphany. And it's a, a moment in the church calendar that's a pretty significant uh, moment. It marks the end of the Christmas season. And so, you know, we've uh, tried to talk about this as a church a little bit, that Advent leads up to Christmas Day. And then on Christmas Day is actually when the Christmas season starts. And so the 12 days of Christmas are the 12 days after Christmas. And so just, uh, you know, to, tr- to try to be disruptors, you know, we're, we're saying, can we keep the party going uh, after Christmas? And so there's 12 days after December 25th uh, where, you know, th- there's just a, an opportunity or an invitation to, to try to keep the party going. So I don't know if any of you made it, if you kept your trees up until the Friday the 6th, kept your lights up, kept the parties going. Uh, you know, I don't know. It, it's, it's really easy to have Christmas parties in the 30 days before Christmas. It's, it's not so easy to have parties uh, in the 12 days after. Everybody seems to kind of be, kind of be done with it. Um, but the invitation, at least in regard to the church calendar, is to recognize that now the party starts. Uh, Christ, Christ has come, and we move into this uh, uh, season of, of Christmas. And then on January 6th, we uh, enjoy or celebrate uh, Epiphany. Um, and, and that's the season that we are now in. And so as we look at John chapter one, I, I want to start off talking about this, this true light because the, the season of epiphany is all about light. It, it's, a, it's about seeing. It's about vision. Uh, if you were to just say, I had an epiphany, you, you, you get the idea. It's this sense of like, I had a vision. I had a revealing. I saw something. I had, a, I had an epiphany. And so the season of epiphany is leaning into that. It's about light. It's about seeing, specifically that the light of Jesus has spread further. So generally speaking, on Epiphany, what we were recognizing is the moment where the wise men found Jesus. Now, that didn't actually happen 12 days after Jesus' birth. It's unlikely. But in our church calendar, that's how it flows. And so on Epiphany, we pause and we recognize that, wow, on the night of Jesus' birth, he was revealed to the Jewish people. But on Epiphany, we recognize that that light of Jesus, while it did appear to the Jewish people, it didn't just appear to the Jewish people. The light has spread further. It has actually reached out beyond uh, one ethnic group, and it's reached out uh, to to all the world. Um, And so, if you think of it this way, Advent, in a sense, is waiting for the light to come. Christmas is the celebration that the light is here. It's come. And now epiphany is a time to consider, what do you see? If the light has come, now what, 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 do, you, what do you see? What, what's out there? What, what, do you, what, do you, what do you see? So Jesus has turned the lights on. 
The idea of behold. You know, in John chapter one, in these first verses, uh, just in the, in the verses that Dave just read for us, seven times, John uses the word for light. Seven times. And then he uses the phrase in verse 14, we have seen your glory. So seven times he talks about light, and then he uses the phrase, we have seen your glory. Later in chapter one, he, so he's, uh, John is recording John the Baptist talking, and John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God. Look, see, that's, that's the Lamb of God. In chapter two, Jesus does his first miracle, and he cha- changes water into wine. And what we find out there is that it's the first of his miracles that reveals his glory. There's a number of things like this where that's part of the journey with Jesus is this this revealing, this, this observing, this beholding, this seeing. And that theme runs throughout the New Testament, this idea of having eyes to see. And it's not just physical eyes, it's spiritual eyes. And that's the invitation that Epiphany puts in front of us. The lights are on, Jesus is revealed, and Jesus is still revealing. What do you see? John goes further. He doesn't just call Jesus a light, which he does. He uses that term seven times. Uh, But if you'll notice, he calls Jesus the true light. He actually wants to uh, give a descriptor to this light. In verse nine, you see that, the true light. Jesus doesn't just bring the truth, though. He is the truth. Later in John's gospel, in chapter 14, uh, one of the more popular verses in the Bible, we find out that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I I am the truth. So I'm, I'm bringing the truth, but I'm also it. Truth is a person. And so this, this light is a true light. And what I think John is, is trying to invite us into, he, he's, he's hinting that Jesus is about truth, yes, but truth in its most fundamental sense. J- Jesus is about truth, which means that Jesus is about reality. J- Jesus wants, wants us to experience reality, how the world really is, what the real story of the world in which we inhabit, what, what, what is going on here? Jesus is most interested in turning the lights on. He wants us to see, and he is the truth. He is the light. He brings all of this. And in these same verses, John refers to Jesus as as the word. And a few weeks ago, we looked at that that aspect of John chapter one, where John refers to Jesus as the word, which is the, the Greek word logos. And that word logos has the same root idea as logic or reason. And and so among all these other descriptors, John says that Jesus is the logic of the world. He's the logic, he's the light, he's the truth. He's the one who turns the lights on. He's the one who brings reality. Jesus wants you to see, and this is the perfect season to lean into that, to see Jesus for who he really is, to see the world as it really is, to see yourself as you really are, to see your own heart, to see what, what, what do you see about what's going on inside of you, to see your community around you, to see the people in your life, to actually take the time to see people. You know, Barb just talked to us about our community groups, and what a beautiful space to do that, 
where, where you actually are in a small group of people and you know their name and they know your name and you begin to share real life with them and, and, and to take the moment, take the time to, to see them, to actually to, to observe and to recognize the way that God's at work in them. This is a wonderful season to lean into these kinds of rhythms. Jesus not only brings the light, he is the light. Jesus not only brings the truth, he is the truth. So this is what John is putting on the table. It's, It's huge and grand and wonderful and beautiful. And as you heard our songs this morning, as you uh, recited our liturgy, we were leaning into this idea of seeing, of light, because that's what we're invited into in this moment. So, So a good question that might follow this is, what does happen when the lights get turned on? Well, John, John actually says uh, that Jesus is the light of life. Th- that's what he begins to, to point us to, is that these things play together in some sort of a way. John says that the true light brings life. Verse four says, in him, the true light, was life. We all need life. That's the message of the Bible is that we all need real life. We all need spiritual life, whether you think you do or not. John actually has the audacity to say, we must be born, not of anything else, but born of God. You notice that in verse, in verse 13? He says that you gotta you got be born, in, in verse 14, you who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Or have you been born of God? John says, this is, we're getting to the ultimate questions here. Jesus has come. Jesus has revealed. Jesus has turned the lights on. Have you been born of God? You, you, you need that kind of life. What, what, what does he mean? I mean, look, look at verses 10 and 11. John, John, when he talks about Jesus coming, he does something pretty phenomenal. This is in verse 10. He says, Jesus was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So Jesus shows up, everything he's created, all these human beings, he shows up and they don't know who he is. And then verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. You see, John is pointing to two groups. He's pointing to the world and he's pointing to his own people. The world means the Gentiles. That the world means everybody that's not Jewish. It means everything apart from the Jewish people. Every religion, every people group, they, they, they miss Jesus. But it's kind of stunning that John also says that Jesus came to his own people, to the Jewish people, to his own religious community, and guess what? They missed him too. Think about what John is indicating. In the first category, it's all the people of other religions and other belief systems and other ethnicities. And you might say, well, that makes sense. Like, it makes sense that they would miss Jesus, that they would not receive him. But in the second category, he says that his own people missed him, that his own people didn't receive him. These are the people who actually believed the Old Testament scriptures. These are the people who believe in the Ten Commandments. These were the people who had a, an agreed-upon, clear, moral standard, who prayed to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And yet John says, guess what? They missed him too. 
Everybody missed them. They both of these groups, which means everybody, they all equally missed Jesus. John seems to be saying that there's no difference between these two groups. Here are the people with the true religion, Jesus' own religion, the Jewish people, the scriptures of the Old Testament, and here are the people with other religions or no religion, and John's saying they all missed them. None of them got them. They all, they all missed them. This is something the Bible says over and over. The Apostle Paul puts it this way a little later in the New Testament. In Romans chapter three, he says there's just, there's just no difference between the people. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's saying we're all in the same boat here. Whatever your background is, whatever your situation is, everybody has fallen short. Everybody is in a situation where they need to be born of God. John has the audacity to say that, in a sense, moral people and immoral people, religious people and irreligious people, people with false religion, no difference. They all need Jesus they all miss Jesus. There's no one a little bit better than the other. They all fall short. They all need help. John, Paul, the whole Bible. They say no one sees Jesus on their own. Wow. That's a pretty heavy message to hear. No one sees Jesus. John's point is that there is a true light that is shining. That, that, that light is actively shining. That light is doing something in the world. And you say, well, how does that, how can one become? This is what he says. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, what? That's it? Believed in his name? That, that is exactly what John is saying. That is so crazy and so simple and yet so incredibly true. When John says, believe in his name or, or receive him, he means that new life comes when we welcome Jesus in the fullness of who Jesus is. When we look at who Jesus is and we recognize who he is, what he's about, what he's doing in the world. To receive Jesus, to believe on his name, is to welcome Jesus into your life as all that he is, as your substitute, as your rescuer, as your Lord, as your Savior, as your King, as your friend that sticks closer than a brother. It, it is fundamental to your spiritual life. You know, maybe at some point in time in your journey over the course of, of, of your time here on this earth, you, you, you heard the gospel presented. Maybe it was at a church service. Maybe it was at a funeral. Maybe it was at a camp. Maybe it was on TV or the radio. And, and you heard this message about Jesus and, and you prayed to prayer. Okay, like th this could be good. But, but John is asking you an additional question. What, what did you mean when you prayed that prayer? Who were you talking to? Did you recognize that this Jesus is a real person and that the Bible reveals to us who he is? That this is not just some uh, way to get fire insurance so that when you die, you won't, you, you, you won't go to hell. It's so much richer and deeper and, and more full than that. John is inviting us into this full nature of Jesus, the truth, the light, the logic, the whole person of who Christ is. Do you understand who Jesus is? 
Jesus is where spiritual life and light and birth is. In verse 10, John uses the term children. And in verse 13, he uses the term born. Born of God. Become a child of God. How? By actually putting yourself in the hands of this one Jesus. A couple pages later in John's Gospel, chapter 3, we read about a guy named Nicodemus. And in the story of Nicodemus, we see birth and light and life. We see it all on display. And what Jesus says to Nicodemus, so maybe you're familiar with Nicodemus, but whether you are or not, let me remind us. Nicodemus was a, a member of this religious group called the Pharisees. And the indication is that he is the top of the pile that he's the, the top of the Pharisees. And so Nicodemus is the most moral of the most moral. That we, we may, you, know, you might have a bad opinion of the Pharisees, and I understand why you would. They have a lot of t- uh, tussles with Jesus. But in the first century, they, didn't, they weren't thought of poorly. In the first century, they were the best. They were the moral examples of, of, of society. And here's Nicodemus, who's the best of the best. And he comes to Jesus, and he's got some very serious questions about what in the world Jesus is talking about. And he seems to be saying, Jesus, you're saying stuff, and it's going over my head. You're saying stuff that doesn't make any sense, and I'm one of the teachers of the law. I don't understand what you mean. And Jesus looks at Nicodemus, this religious leader, this leader of religious leaders, this most moral of most moral, and he says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And it doesn't help Nicodemus at all. Nicodemus says, I still don't understand. What am I supposed to do? Climb back into my mother's womb? I can't do that. How in the world would I be born again? Now, you might hear the phrase born again and have some baggage. And and if you do, I totally understand. If you grew up in the South, you might even have more baggage about the phrase born again. But you know, when Nicodemus heard Jesus say, you must be born again, he did not think about TV preachers. He didn't think about tent revivals. He didn't know what Jesus was talking about. He didn't have any baggage. He had never heard the phrase before. So he understood it in a way that we don't. And and, and Jesus, what Jesus wants to show him is this. You gotta start over. He didn't look at Nicodemus and say, oh, Nicodemus, you're so moral. You've done so many good deeds. If we could just polish you up just a little bit, just add one more little ingredient, you're good to go. No, Jesus says, this isn't a remodel. This is a teardown. You you must be born again. It's not a little addition to your life. It's a reorientation of your whole life. Nicodemus needed the light of Jesus to bring life to his soul. What what John is telling us here in chapter one and there in chapter three is that when one is born of God, they are given spiritual sight and they're given spiritual life. You know, later, John writes this about Jesus in chapter eight. He says that Jesus has the audacity to say this phrase, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I mean, these are audacious claims by Jesus, where he says, I am the truth. I am the life. And if you're with me, like that's where you need to be. This is where life is found. This is where the lights get turned on. I recently read a quote uh, attributed to the pastor and author John Mark Comer. 
uh, in which he said this. He said that repentance is rethinking reality from the ground up. Rethinking reality from the ground up. And man, the more I thought about that phrase, the more I like that phrase. That this concept of repentance isn't just stop doing bad things and start doing good things. It's actually an invitation. Biblical repentance is an invitation to start asking the fundamental questions about your life. What, what am I standing on? What, what do I think the point of all of this is? Where, where is this story headed? What is my life about? What do I actually believe? Repentance is that kind of disruption. Rethinking reality from the ground up. You know, uh, I love football. I watch a lot of sports, as my family can attest. But Monday night, I actually wasn't watching sports. And I got a text uh, from someone here in our congregation. And they said, hey, are you watching the game? And I said, no. And I felt so good being like, no, I'm actually not. And then they were just like, you might want to turn it on because there's been, been a tragedy. And uh, you've probably heard uh, about this over the last few days. Uh, but a defensive player for the Buffalo Bills um, was involved in a tackle, and he stood up from the tackle and immediately had, had cardiac arrest. And right there in the middle of the field, as uh, a ton of people, millions of people are watching uh, Monday Night Football, uh, this NFL 24-year-old, prime shape of his life, um, is, is uh, getting CPR on the, in the middle of the football field. And there is, uh, the players begin to, to tear up, and there's uh, you know, NFL tough guys uh, crying on their sidelines and trying to comfort each other. And as the situation gets worse and worse, um, the, the panic levels seem to be rising, and the ambulance comes onto the field. And uh, if you've followed the story, the, you know, the last five or six days have been just a phenomenal uh, journey of um, watching a, a, a nation respond uh, to a tragedy. And you know this guy's name is Damar Hamlin, and he's 24 years old. I think in second second year in the league, he's having an incredible season. You know, as you could imagine, in the best shape of his life, probably making the most money that he's ever made in his life. Surrounded by teammates who are in the best shape of their life, who are probably making the most money they've ever made. It could be easy to feel invincible. Boy, it'd be easy to feel invincible. To look around and to you know, as an NFL player, to think the sky's the limit. Nothing can stop me. And then to just have a very normal sequence of events happen that results in your teammate, like, their heart stopping. And DeMar Hamlin did not die. Uh, he actually is, was on a breathing tube for a while. He's off the breathing tube now. Uh, he's FaceTimed with his team, and there's, there's been some beautiful recovery. But what has accompanied this has been an incredible outpouring of love, some pretty phenomenal things. He, he, his mom has a, a, a daycare, and uh, this NFL player helps his mom with a, a toy drive, and they had a, a financial goal of $2,500 for his mom's daycare's toy drive. Well, when DeMar's accident happened, when his injury happened, you know, news went public that DeMar was involved in this toy drive, and their goal was $2,500, and on Friday, they were over five and a half million. 
dollars had been given to his mom's toy drive. And that's Friday, so I'm assuming it's gonna keep going. Uh, this guy, he's, he wears number three for the Buffalo Bills. His jersey is the number one selling jersey uh, for the, uh, a company called Fanatics. And they announced that all the proceeds from the sale of his jersey is gonna go to his mom's toy drive. And so it's gonna keep going. It's, 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 it's a pretty phenomenal outpouring. But right along with that has been an incredible outpouring of, of prayer. And um, every NFL team, to my knowledge, changed their Twitter profile to pray for DeMar. Every, every NFL team put, put prayer for DeMar. That night, as the ambulance was on the field, uh, you just saw more and more groups of people gathering up and begin praying. There began to be comments uh, on social media about the chaplains for both, they were playing the Cincinnati Bengals, the, the chaplain for the Bengals and the chaplain for the Buffalo Bills, and how they have quite strong spiritual presence on their team, and they have multiple players on both teams who are followers of Jesus, who were in, engaging their, uh, their teammates in uh, turning to the God of heaven in this moment of tragedy. Uh, over the next few days, uh, a uh, reporter on ESPN, live television on the NFL show named Dan Orlovsky, played for the Detroit Lions. And while he played for the Detroit Lions years ago, uh, the chaplain for the Detroit Lions was a pastor from a church in Detroit. And as that chaplain spent time with the Detroit Lions, he ended up be befriending Dan Orlovsky. And if I understand the story right, Dan Orlovsky came to faith while playing for the Detroit Lions. And now Dan Orlovsky is, is a host on this NFL show. Well, the other day, he said, you know, I just see all these calls to prayer. And he's like, I feel like we should pray for him right now. And so he stops on live television and prays for DeMar. And he prays and says, God, we're praying because we actually believe you're real. We, we actually believe these prayers are going to someone who hears and who loves. That happens on live television on ESPN. And then another uh, pro athlete who's retired now, Benjamin Watson, played in the NFL, wrote a book that we had on our book wall here. He was on CNN with Anderson Cooper. And he got to express how moments like that leave you with so many questions. And, and, and right on CNN, he got to talk about the fact that he is so thankful that God has provided answers through his son, Jesus Christ, in the hope of eternal life. And you, you look at these moments and you say, I don't know what God wants to do with all of this, but there are absolutely invitations for every one of us to rethink reality from the ground up. For the NFL player who is as strong as can be and as rich as can be and, and looking at his life and thinking I'm invincible and now that's all shaken and there's all kinds of questions about like, could that happen to me? And if it did happen to me, where would I be? That, that's an invitation to rethink your life, to rethink reality from the ground up. You know, in the Bible, repentance is consistently tied to salvation, consistently. But repentance alone is not salvation. Repentance is more like the posture that allows us to give up on our self-salvation projects. Repentance is this recognition that I'm headed a certain way, that my life is headed a certain way, that my hopes and that my, that my, my trust is pointed in a certain way that's gonna fail. And I need to turn from that. That's repentance, is turning. But the question is then, what are you turning to? And John, in John chapter one, is saying, there is the light of life. It's the truest true. It's where reality is found. And you are invited to turn from your self-salvation projects. You might think it's fitness, you might think it's money, you might think it's comfort, you might think it's fame. 
to turn from those self-salvation projects and to turn to Christ alone, the one true hope. And he'll change your reality from the ground up. He'll give you new birth. You you can be born of God. You can become a child of God. That, 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 That is what Jesus wants to do in us in me and in you. He wants, us to help, he wants to help us rethink reality from the ground up. He wants us to live in the light of who he is and the true story of the world. You know, in our liturgy today, there was an invitation to rend your hearts, not your garments. Isn't that a great phrase? Like through the Old Testament, it's like all of this rend your garments, tear your garments, weeping. Yeah, okay, fine. But rend your heart. Tear your heart open before the God of heaven. Recognize that you need him to actually give you the life that you desperately long for. And boy, that does not come naturally. There's one reason why I think it is worth our time to invest in way better rhythms, liturgies. It's why we have a rhythm to our Sunday service. It's why we try to uh, give an eye to the church calendar. There's actually an invitation for you in your own daily life to think about the rhythm of your day so that you reorient yourself to a better story. When we look at the liturgical calendar and we, we talk about Advent and Christmas and Christmas tide and Epiphany, you might be like, I don't even know what those words mean. Okay, it's not about those words, it's about the rhythm. Are, are, what story are you living in? And Jesus wants to invite us to live in his story because it's the truest true because it's the light of life, because it's reality. He wants to open your eyes to it. And if you want to explore some of these things, there's a book on our book wall uh, by Tish Warren called uh, Liturgy of the Ordinary. And it is a great place to start just asking questions about how to navigate your everyday life. Beautiful book right out there. So Jesus is not afraid of the truth. He wants to open our eyes to it. I ran into this quote years ago, and I've referenced it a few different times in sermons, but what if the goal of the Christian life is not for everything to be fixed, but for everything to be seen? You know, what if that's what Jesus wants for you? What if he wants you to just be like, stop the hiding? This same author, John, he wrote some other books in the, in the New Testament, and some of them are real little, like they're little epistles towards the end of the Bible. And in in, in 1 John, he talks about walking in the light. And just a little bit of my own story, one of the ways that I thought about walking in the light for a long, long time was kind of thinking as like a a, a headlight, you know, pointing out into the darkness of the world. And it kind of provided this pathway. And my job was to walk in the light, and it's lighting my path, and I just need to walk, walk forward into the light. But a few years ago, I realized that what John is talking about when he says walk in the light is not a path of light just forward. It's the sense of like standing at the 50-yard line of a stadium and having every light on everywhere. It means pervasive light. It's not just light of the path forward. It means light everywhere. It means that you're not trying to hide all your stuff behind you. You're not trying to stuff things in drawers or closets. You're being honest with the God of heaven about who you are and what's going on. And you're just saying, like, turn the lights on. Like, I'm, 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 I'm tired of hiding. It's not working. And just allow yourself the freedom that Jesus already knows. You know, we spend all this time trying to hide our stuff. And Jesus already knows. And this invitation to walk in the light is like, okay, I'm done. 
I'm done trying to hide it. I'm done trying to act like that's not part of my journey. And instead of just saying, I'll fix it, and then I can, you know, that can be part of my story down the road. No, it's like, I'm letting the light shine right now. We're going to be honest about this and let the light of the world shine on me, on my heart, on my closets, in the shadows, and experience the life that comes from that kind of light. Jesus wants to turn the lights on for you. He wants to invite you into the truest true and the realest real. Jesus is the light of the world, and his light brings life. Now, we go to communion every Sunday, and I just want to take a little extra minute with, with communion today. And, and here's why. You know, because why does this table matter? You know, we, we end our service with it every week. Obviously, we think that there's an important uh, rhythm to our service to come to the table. We, we do it because this table is actually for those who have seen his glory, who have believed on his name, and have received him. That, that, that's, what, that's where this table makes sense, where we have actually seen the glory of the Son who is full of grace and truth, as John puts it. You know, often, not every week, but often, I'll, I'll say something along these lines, that if you're here and you've professed Christ as Lord, come up here and get this bread and get this cup. And if you're here today and you haven't, then why don't you stay where you are, and instead of receiving these elements, like, re- receive Christ. And that might feel disruptive. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you might feel like, whoa, what, what, what's that about? Well, this is why. Because this table only makes sense if the lights have been turned on. This is a meal for those who have actually seen who Jesus is and given their life to him. You know, eating this bread and drinking this cup, they are way more than just eating bread and drinking juice. This is a memorial. It's a ceremony. It's a covenant renewal. You know, yesterday we had a, a wedding here. Andrea Potter and Noah Lentz uh, got married right here in this auditorium. It was a fun, fun little wedding. You know, when you think about the correlation, in, in our spiritual life, baptism is like the marriage ceremony. And then communion is like celebrating the marriage. It's like an anniversary. And so when we come to the table, this is a, a, a rededication. This is a, a reaffirmation of that faith and hope that we have put in the person of Jesus. That recognition that if Jesus didn't give his life, then this is all worthless. And so as we come to the table today, I want to invite you to come recognizing that this, this represents the light of life. This represents the one who is the truth, who is the light, who is the life that we so desperately need. And if you've not trusted Jesus, man, there's a couple prayers that will be on the, on the screen behind us or in front of you. And I invite you to consider those words just as, as handholds to try to talk with the God of heaven. Our practice is to come down the middle aisle and return to your seats on the outside aisle. And if you're not ready to come, when your row stands up, man, just stay in your seat. Come when you're ready. And if somebody in your row is not ready to go, just politely slide by them. Uh, and we, we love coming and receiving this bread and this cup. If our service will please come, let's pray. God, thank you for this, um, this good news about Jesus, this declaration of, of who he is and what he's done on our behalf, this invitation that we so desperately need to be born of you, that we need life from outside of us to come flooding into us. And we thank you that this Jesus has been revealed, that this true light 
has shone into the world and that this light is the light of life. It's gonna change everything. So we thank you that the lights have been turned on. God, would you help us to see? Would you give us soft hearts that are ready to receive? Would you help us believe on the name of your son as the one and only hope for the world? And all these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.